Well, welcome everyone. <clears throat> we have been, for the past few weeks, been going through a mini-series over the Christmas period. And the series is, has been called Wish List. And today is part three. And what we've been doing is we've been comparing, comparing the things that we desire versus the gifts that God desires to give to us. And the, 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 the running question has been, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? And um, you might say, well, Robert, I'm not hoping for nothing because Christmas has come and gone now. I got what I wanted for Christmas. <laughs> um, but I mean on a deeper level, right? Because whatever it was that we got on the 25th of December, within a week or a month, if it's not broken, you know what I'm saying, or we're bored of it, you know what I'm saying, it's gone out of fashion, within a few months' time, we get a whole set of new desires that we begin to kind of chase. I'm, I'm not talking about stuff on a, on a superficial level, but on a deeper level. See, how does what we potentially got for Christmas compare to some of the great gifts that God not only has given us, but also continually wants to give us. So in this series, I've suggested um, that often, often, you know what I'm saying, we aren't very good at separating what we want from what we need. Right? Our first week, we talked about the fact that God gave us something that we desperately needed, which is his son. Looked at John chapter 3, and then... Last Sunday, we talked about the fact that God gave us the Messiah. And obviously, Christmas week, Matthew chapter 1, and the fact that God gave us Jesus, Emmanuel, who is actually God with us. This week, we're going to take that even further, and we're going to talk about the fact that God um, gave us himself. I mean, could there be a gift that excels God himself? And we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. And it's incredible how just all of the service so far has, in one sense, it feels like I don't even need to preach. Because much of what I'm going to say has already been said, which is always encouraging, especially for the preacher. You know what I mean? Um, but maybe what I'll do is I'll underline some of the things that have already be, been said. And maybe even take them uh, a step or two further. So... Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to put the text up as we read it. Um, it says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, 
He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you join with me as we pray? Father, would you help us today to have a more deeper understanding of the wonderful gift that you offer to give to us of yourself? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, historically, I would argue undeniably, history teaches us that generally speaking, <laughs> humans are what? If you had to sum up humans with one word, what would it be? <laughs> I couldn't, I heard someone laughing at the response, but I didn't hear the response, but. Long. People are long. Humans are long. Anything else? Unfaithful. Unfaithful. I want a catch-all term. Selfish. That's going to come up. Evil. Huh. Okay. A catch-all term. Pride. Okay. None of you ain't helping me. All right. Let me, help. Let me try to help you. Humans, I would say, generally speaking, right, are sinful. Right? I mean, a lot of what you said was true. Hopefully, that's not a surprise or a shock. Um, we tend to be proud and arrogant, right? We tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, right? We can be very high-minded. It doesn't mean that you ought not to consider yourself in a, in a, in a valued sense, but sometimes <laughs> we overvalue ourselves, right? Um, and it's crazy, um, what we tend to do is we value ourselves above others. And often, you know what I'm saying, if push comes to shove, we're fundamentally going to look out for number one. You know what I mean? And, and in that, you know, one of the reasons why people sometimes don't even go to church, you know what I'm saying, is because going to church, that gives me less time to think about me. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're consumed with ourselves. You know, me time. Not a, not a bad thing, but you take it to its to an extreme. You know, we're selfish. We tend to be very self-centered, and often inconsiderate. That is of others. And um, how about this one? We tend to want to be in charge. And I'm saying now, we, we, and I'm saying it's like not all of us want to be like the leader. Not not all of us want to be the CEO, but we want all of that which comes and is associated with that. You know what I'm saying? In that we all want to have our own way. Like, I'm just, I'm just being real. And in one sense, I want to be the Lord, you know what I'm saying, of, of other people's lives. <laughs> but if not other people's life, at least my own life. You know what I'm saying? want to be Lord. And, and again, just sum it up by saying we're very self-centered. Is that generally true? Is that, is that fair? That we tend to be that way inclined, you know what I'm saying, naturally speaking? 
Where God, on the other hand, we're going to see in this text an incredible contrast. God, on the other hand, is just the opposite. He's not sinful. He's actually perfect. I'm saying. Um, crazy. He's the, he's, if you like, he's the antithesis of sinfulness. Like That's the opposite. Um, God is he's not proud and arrogant. He's actually very humble. Humble beyond belief. Just look at God coming to earth as we saw last week, as we see over Christmas. How? As a baby. So vulnerable. And he comes to a very dirty environment. You know what I mean? Where it's outside, not even indoors, you know. If that was me and I'm coming and I'm rich like God, yo. You know, I wouldn't even have been born in that time. That's long. You know what I mean? Because there weren't no five-star hotels, not even five. You know they got seven-star hotels. There weren't no seven-star hotels. So if I'm God and I'm like, I would, I, I would want to come in this time, you know what I'm saying, where there's seven-star hotels and there's Bentleys to drive in, you know what I'm saying, and there's Louboutins to wear. I'm like, that's when I would come. But God ain't like me, thankfully. You know what I'm saying? And he's humble. Um, God values others in an incredible way. He, he, he values others extremely highly and he has considered thoughts towards us. And remember the other side of the list of what we're like. You know what I'm saying? You know, in the Psalms it says that, like, how often do we think about God? You know, think about, like, maybe in the morning when you wake up, you might just have a little devotion. Or you might just pray a little prayer. And you might just bless your food during the daytime. And you might just get on your knees before you go to sleep and thank God for that. You might do that. But there are many that don't. But do you know in the Psalms it says God's, God's thoughts towards his people are like the sand on the seashore. They're like the stars in the sky. That's how many thoughts God has towards you on a daily basis compared to how much we think God considers others and we see this you know I often I think about God in the term in terms of him being a parent because I can identify with that how many parents we got in the room how many of you know being a parent is a is a thankless task very often you know what I mean you make some major investments and don't look for no return on that investment for now if at all, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, if at all, yo, and you got to be a parent to really understand that one, I mean, um, and God is such an unselfish parent, I get vexed when my kids are ungrateful, I want to pull them up and, and, and tell them, you know what I mean, and um, I, wonder, I wonder how many times God would have to pull me up for my ingratitude and my ungratefulness. He like Pastor E said earlier, God continues to give in spite of that, doesn't he? He's, a, he's an incredible parent in that sense. Um, God considers others. He, he values others extremely highly, but he also considers others before he considers himself often. And we see that throughout salvation history and how God effectively throughout, human, throughout time has given of, of himself extensively for others. And it's beautiful because not only do we see God consider others after creation, because you can see God creates humans and he interacts with them considerately, 
But God was considerate of others before he even created humans, before he created the world, because God exists as a trinity, a triunity. There's Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see it played out in history how the Father always wants to glorify the Son. And the Son always wants to glorify the Father. And the Spirit always wants to glorify the, the Son. And you see, even in the Trinity, before God even makes man, God is other person-centered, even within the Trinity. Rather than grasp at, I mean, he has the power, you know what I'm saying? But rather, rather than grasp at the power, which is what another translation says, um, and authority and status, He's prepared to let it go. Um, and, and what's crazy is, again, the antithesis. He is Lord, right? The rightful one in charge, yet he's completely selfless. And to the point where he actually becomes a servant, which is the opposite <laughs> to one of being in charge. Can you see how God is the opposite to us? He's very other person-centered. And Paul says, <clears throat> you know, if you like, he's going to help us to see there needs to be a shift in our thinking, a change in our mindset, because we evidently don't think like God. And um, this is very helpful. It's, we kind of come to the conclusion of one year, and as has been already said, we begin to embark on a new year, you know what I'm saying? Are we going to go into next year doing the same thing, expecting the same results, or expecting different results, I should say? No, there needs to be a change if we want to see a change. Now, the context of this letter is such that Paul, the apostle, is writing to God's people in Philippi. And God has started a work in them that he's going to faithfully complete. And in this chapter, Paul talks about the fact that in verse 5, that is chapter 1, the chapter before our chapter. He says, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Philippians are on it. They, like, they're where we want to be, you know what I'm saying, in that sense. And he talks about the importance, even though that is the case, of their continual spiritual growth as citizens of heaven. And he's, and he's continually talking about the need to see the fruit of their salvation constantly outworked, which, again, is what we want to see in our lives. And he also then talks about the fact that, listen, believing in Jesus is great, and there's, there are going to be wonderful things that will come out of that, but a part of being a believer in Jesus is something that we don't often want to embrace, which is suffering. And I'm so glad that the Bible constantly, quite repetitively, reminds us of that because how many of you know there are going to be those times of great suffering in your life as a Christian? I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to experience suffering. But if you are a Christian, you know what I'm saying, you know that that will be a part of your experience. And it's helpful to know that, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. You know what I mean? And it's crazy because um, this whole thing about suffering... Um, is reasonable because Jesus actually suffered horrendously. And, and Paul is actually suffering whilst he's writing because he's actually, you know where he's writing this epistle from, this letter from? He's writing it from prison. You know what I'm saying? And it's amazing how even though that's the case, he sees God's good purpose in this time of suffering. And he mentions the, 
that which encourages his heart in chapter one at least six times, and it's the gospel. It's the good news. And, and that is what encourages and keeps him. And this is what he's encouraging the Philippians to hold on to and to embrace and never to forget and always remember. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, which is where we start, right? He says, <clears throat> I think I've got the verses here. It says in verse 1, he says, notice, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, remember who he's writing to, these believers, could say the same thing to us. You know what I'm saying? If you have any, are you united with Christ? Is there any encouragement that comes from that? He says, is there any comfort that comes from his love? You know what I'm saying? Any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Can you notice there are four ifs and one then? He says, if, 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 then. I highlight it for you, if you don't believe me. See, being, if you want to be like Jesus, based on the fact that you're connected to Jesus, see, because you're connected to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be like him. But because you're connected to him, God's purpose and desire is that we be like him. And he says, if that's your desire and your real experience, if, 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 then. See, being like Jesus and thinking like Jesus is going to take a change in the way that you think, in the way that I think. And it's called having the mind of Christ. Jesus, you know what I'm saying, who is God manifest in the flesh. Again, last week we saw that at the incarnation. And we'll see it again in a minute in our text. He's the picture of humility, you know what I'm saying, which we need to emulate. Isaiah 57 says, notice this, for this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever and whose name is holy, right, is obviously very other, right, very different to us. I live in a high and holy place, but notice, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So God is glorious, and I'm saying the pinnacle of what it means to be great, he is. Yet in him we see this, picture, this perfect picture of humility. He's willing to condescend, like literally descend, to, to stoop, if you like, to lower himself, to demean or de 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 debase himself. And it's exactly what we see in the Lord Jesus. Now watch the comparison. See how we, again, humans, compare to God. Philippians 2, so picking up in verse 3, he says, you can do a few things selfishly. It doesn't say that, does it? There's not even opportunity for 1% of commitment to selfish ambition. <laughs> now, obviously, you've got, to you've got to distinguish between ambition and selfish ambition. Because ambition ain't a bad thing, but it can quickly spill over into a very unhelpful area. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit or empty conceit. Notice, rather, on the on, on, contrary, right? In humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. It's quite stark, isn't it? And what it does is it highlights, again, what we said earlier. Naturally, our inclination is to be selfish. You know what I'm saying? Is to be conceited. You know what I'm saying? And not value others, but value ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Not looking at the, the interests of others. You know, it's, the, the Bible is, is amazing because it's looking at it that we get the opportunity to see what we're really like. You know what I mean? Um, and like a mirror, and unlike and unlike a mirror, it reflects us, but it reflects the horror of what we are, but then at the same time, it helps us to see what we ought to really be like. You know what I mean? It's, it's quite magical in that sense. And in terms of our relationships, Paul's argument is don't be, don't be naturally human, sinful. There's a supernatural element at work if you're connected with Christ. And look at the example that he sets for us in verse 5, right? He says, in your relationships with one another. I mean, boy, Pastor E met me, like, met me jump this morning. And I'm saying when he... Um, What's the word? When he... Pastor E, help me. What's the word? All right, that's the word I'm looking for. I was, coming, I was coming over in the car, like, me and Helen, and we was just chatting, and she was trying to remember something, couldn't remember. Then I started trying to remember something, couldn't remember, and we're like, boy, we're getting old, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, we need to help one another in that sense. Um, what was the word again? He exhorted us <laughs> strongly and very firmly you know what I'm saying? To consider the person that's next to us. In way, and, and, it's, and it needed to be spiky like that. Because under normal circumstances, like, we hear it. It goes in one ear and it just comes out the other, isn't it? But there was a firm exhortation, you know what I'm saying, to, to respond. Like, literally. <laughs> literally. I was, I, was, I, was, I was in the back room there just finishing up. I had no one to turn to. You know what I mean? But I felt like I needed to nearly come out here and try to, try to find someone. Thank you, Pastor E. In your relationships with one another, see, there needs to be a change in mindset, and we've got to get rid of, it's like we need reprogramming. You know what I mean? Because we need the mindset of Christ in contrast to our sinful, human, fallen mindset. And that's even as believers. Because I mean, if you know, Romans 12 says our minds need to be what? Renewed, you know what I mean? Now watch the description of this person we considered last week. That is the Messiah. That is Jesus, the one called the Christ, right? Verse 6, who, look, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 of John 1 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus. Colossians 1 talks about Jesus and his preeminence. Hebrews 1, again, compares Jesus to angels, Moses, high pri like priests, and says none of, none of them compare to who he is. 
You know what I'm saying? The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand and said, I'll make your enemies your footstool. Who's God ever said that to? No angel, no human. You know what I'm saying? He says it to the Son, the one called Christ. And we hear from the lips of Jesus himself. Remember, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Identifying himself as God, right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being or his nature. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. He's, a, he's the perfect reflection of, of, of the Father. John chapter 5, verse 18 says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And... In his defense, Jesus said to them, look, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Notice, making himself equal with God. We know that God is all-powerful. He's, he's glorious. He's infinite. He's eternal. Our text goes on to say in Philippians 2, picking up in the middle of verse 6. Jesus, although he is all of these glorious things and he's God manifested in the flesh, he did not, middle of verse 6, consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In another translation, he says he didn't consider it something to be grasped, like and held on to. Rather... With this contrast, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Wow. Being made in human likeness. Now, when I think about these verses, imagine God, con again, condescending. The, the picture that came to my mind was the secret boss. And um, the secret boss, you, you, you probably see it, it's like under, it's undercover boss, undercover boss. And you see someone that's, you know what I'm saying, like, they're the boss, they're the CEO of the company, but they turn up mad bummy, you know what I mean? And like, they kind of, they got some horrible, like, growth like, like mine, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to grow this beard thing again. I don't know if I'm going to have any joy, but, you know what I mean? L look, you might look at me and think, boy, Pastor, Pastor Rob, you look, you look kind of disheveled, you know. This is in your mind, yeah? You probably weren't going to say it to my face, but... You say like, oh, Pastor Rob, I'm not sure if that beard really suits you. Maybe you say it like that. My wife just told me straight. Um, but, <laughs> so, uh, you know what I'm saying? You got this, you got this. He's the boss. He's the CEO of the company. You know what I'm saying? But when he kind of dresses down and kind of puts a cushion in his summer, in, instead of the six-pack and, you know what I mean? And he ain't got on, you know what I mean, like 1,000-pound suit, you know what I mean? And he's not clean-shaven and that. You could easily mistake him for who he really is. And you've seen the program, you know what I mean? And people can't believe it, you know what I'm saying? When they see the transformation, they're like, oh my gosh. You see, and this is, this is what Christmas is about. You know I mean, this is what God did, you know what I'm saying? He, he came down and looked mad bummy compared to who he really is. You know what I mean? And it's funny because we see at, at, at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, it says, 
Um, at the baptism of Jesus, do you remember, um, John the Baptist was there, the baptizer. And, and he says, he's, I'll pick it up in verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Because people are coming and John is baptizing people. And people are, some are repenting, some are faking it. He says, but after me, he says, there's coming one who's more powerful than I. Whose sandals I'm, I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He ain't, he like, he ain't joking. And he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be back. The very one that John is talking about, here he comes. Verse 14, but John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me to get baptized. See, John understands who he is. You know what I mean? Picking up verse 8 of our text. It says, and being found in appearance, this is Jesus, as a man, he was called to humble himself by not just because, I mean, if it wasn't enough him becoming a man, I mean, it's an understatement. God becoming a man would be more than enough. Like to see these bosses proper dressed down and come and be amongst the people. Like everyone's like, oh, sharp intake of breath when they realize the incarnation. And we heard when we did John 3 that the reason he did that was why? For God so loved the world. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, if that weren't humbling up in, enough, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. It's like, a, it's like another level of humility. By becoming obedient to death, and then another level of humility, even the death on the cross. It's like, remember Jesus washing the, washing the disciples' feet? It's like... How? It's, and he says it to them. He says, look, I'm your Lord, and I'm washing your feet. I mean, you could stop right there and just meditate that, on that for like a millennia. I'm your Lord, but happily washing your feet. I'm saying in John 13, it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And remember, that's because no one else wanted to wash the feet but he was willing to huff because he humbled himself. He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's. It's like, that's ABC. <laughs> right? But because it's ABC and it's basic, don't make mean it's easy. But how many of you know that's not our inclination? I ain't trying to wash nobody's feet out here. <laughs> like, it, like, there's different parts to the body. You know what I mean? That's one of the worst. You know what I mean? Who said it? Someone said, no, it's not. But maybe not your feet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe not your feet. But hey. And... And he says in verse 15, for I have given you an example, that, and especially in that culture, 
I mean, it's like Pastor E said it like, like we wake up in the morning. You know what? This morning I, I, I really had to, you know what I'm saying, find a space of rep- like real like I had to like, Lord, like forgive me. You know how like how blessed we are. You you know the you know you know the privilege of being able to get up in the morning, yeah, out of a very nice bed, r- regardless. Regardless if it's a slumberland or regardless. You know what I mean? Get out of bed. Go and use the toilet. You know, you know, bruv, I remember when I I went to Jamaica in 1976. And I was living, I was staying in, I was living in Kingston and and we had to go visit my my dad's family in St. Mary. And... Listen, when I got back to Kingston, I, I, don't, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say I hugged that latrine. <laughs> like, the privilege. You, know, you, you use the toilet nicely. No mess, no fuss, just flush it. Nice. Toilet pit, nice. And then you step across the room if your bathroom and if your toilet and your, your, your shower or your bath is in the same room and you know what I'm saying? Even before you have a shave if, if you do and you do your, you set yourself up and whatever and then you step into the shower like running water and, and soap or you know and, and then you come out and you've got a towel. A towel. I mean every striking thing to make this experience wonderful. I'm like, it's like, it's what, like, you know what I'm saying? Like when you really take a minute to think about it. You know what I mean? We're sober and, and on a level, right? We enjoy all of those benefits only to come out of our house screw face, only to come out of our yard complaining, only to come, you know, we do, don't we? And, you know, you think about the triumphal entry, like Jesus washing feet. You think about the triumphal entry, and Jesus comes in. You know what I'm saying? This is quoted out of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, God had it enshrined in Jewish history right from the beginning of the monarchy. That the kings would never be overly exalted. Look, at the, the very coronation of a king, he doesn't come in in a chariot. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't come in. He comes in, presented to the people, hum on a donkey, humbly. I don't have time apart from to say, can you see the humility of Jesus? He's made human, if that weren't enough. You know what I'm saying? Then he's going to have to die, and not just any kind of death, some very humiliating, the death on the cross. It's the, it's, the cross has got to be the place of the greatest shame 
and the greatest pain. Remember, he hung there naked, literally. And the Bible says he despised the shame. That means he didn't allow himself to feel like, oh, look at everybody looking at me. Oh, how embarrassing. He, didn't, he, he despised that which wanted to get a hold of him, that would normally get a hold of us with regards to shame. And he hung there. Do I need to explain the pain as well as the shame that he endured? And that punishment, check it, that was not for his sinfulness, but that was, you remember our list? That's our sinfulness, our, our pride and our arrogance, because he didn't have any. You know what I'm saying? Our high-minded, you know what I'm saying? Us always looking out for ourselves, for number one, selfish, we want to be first. Even the, you know, the disciples, I love, I thank God for them stories, the disciples arguing about which of them was the, the greatest. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go for himself. He went there for us because he's other person-centered. See the kind of mind that he has. And you know, it's crazy because that list highlights just how off-key we are. You know what I mean? It's... um. Like we stink, you know what I'm saying? But Jesus was willing. It's like in Romans it says, um, it's very rare that you'll find someone will die for a righteous person. It's not that it won't happen, but it's rare. But who's going to lay down their life for someone that stinks? Someone that's, you know, off key, like, my gosh. It's, you know what I'm saying? But that's what... See, and that's what some don't realize. It's funny because it could be one thing just being off-key. But then there's a penalty for being off-key. <laughs> there's a penalty for that sinful behavior. And it's death. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's the rationale. Like, why did, like, be like, why did Jesus come and die? Like, he was born, we've been saying over Christmas, to die. That's why he was born. And you know, that destruction for that attitude and that, that behavior is only what we deserved. But Jesus took it for us. He took it in our place. And it's right and it's just that we should pay the penalty for that sinfulness. You know what I'm saying? That can't be denied. Yet Jesus took our place. Verse 9 of our text says, Therefore, because he was willing to do that, the opposite of what we would do, he is exalted to the highest place and God gave him the name that's above every name and we say yes that's right that's righteous he deserves that he deserves it all of the honor belongs to him because he deserves it right again you see the antithesis see what we deserve versus what he deserves but we don't get what we deserve because he took what we deserve. But therefore, God gave him the name that's above every name. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's only one name under heaven given among man, mankind, whereby we must be saved, and it's the name of Jesus. It's the name that's above every name. And verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should, rightly, if it's the name above every name, then every knee should bow. Every, every, every person, in light of that, should be humbled. If you understand what we've just talked about. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and at light, wherever there's anybody. And verse 11, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the king, remember, synonymous, that he's Lord. He's Lord, not us, not me. He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I'm going to give an illustration and then I'm going to sum up. The amazing thing about about God is that we wouldn't understand him unless he revealed himself to us. Um, it's crazy. You and I, we're created creatures. And one, like the height of insanity and madness as a creature in light of the creator is to shake our fist at the creator or even to go to the point where we ignore that he even exists. You know what I'm saying? Without him revealing himself to us, we wouldn't understand who he is. And he's done that. And have you ever heard of a woman called Dorothy Sayers? Now, if you're familiar with Tim Keller, you listen to Tim Keller, you, you may have heard him tell this story a number of times. My gosh. If you haven't heard it, Dorothy Sayers, she <clears throat> is best known for her mysteries, kind of murder mysteries. She's written a series of novels um, and short stories. Now, she was around from about the late 18th century, sorry, late 1880s to about the, the mid-1900s, the mid-20th century, right? And... In her series of books, she's written about this particular man whose name, his name is Lord Peter Wimsley. Now, Lord Peter Wimsley, he is a super sleuth. You know what I'm saying? He's really smart, and he's like Poirot. You know what I'm saying? You see, Death on the Orient Express, the brother with the mustache, like really smart at working, like Columbo, really smart at working out, you know what I'm saying, who done what, who done it. And um, so she's written a series of books about this, this super sleuth. But the thing is, in this series of books, my man, Peter Wimsley, is very lonely. He's not married. Very sharp and very clever, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, he's very needy. You, you ever watch Luther with Idris Elba? Oh, my, my G. <laughs> Sorry, I, I can't lie. I love Luther. I love that series. It burned me. Oh, my. You know when they done the first <laughs> Lord Peter Wimsley is a bit like Luther. You know what I'm saying? Like so smart. Is he gone in? So smart. 
You know what I mean? Works out all of these, these things. I'm sure he's Sierra Leone. I'm sure he's Jamaican, you know. I'm sure he's... <laughs> and, my, and my man is so clever at how he works stuff out. But how many of you know, he's very disturbed. Brother needs help. What does he need? Like, you've been watching the series. What does he need? He needs Jesus. <laughs> no doubt. No, I mean, but on a human level, the brother needs a wife. Straight. A liar? You know it's true. You know it's true. Well, Lord Peter Wimsley is a bit like Luther. And you know what? Oh my gosh. Dorothy Sayers, over a process of time, she falls in love with the character she created. And you know what she does? All of a sudden, this woman appears in one of the novels. She went to Oxford. And I'm saying she's a she's a crime writing author, and then all of a sudden you're like, raw. You know what she did? It sounds just like her. She writes herself into the story, and guess what? He falls in. She falls. He falls in love with her, and the two of them get together, and they get married, and they live happily ever after. Now, how many of you know Lord Peter Wimsley? He's a created character. He wouldn't know, you know what I'm saying, who Dorothy Sayers was or her character that gets written in if she didn't write the character in. He'd still be walking around super sleuth, working out all of this stuff, but lonely, on his own, troubled, you know what I'm saying, like Luther with demons who, you know what I'm saying, he constantly is battling with unless somebody comes into the story to help, to support, to rescue and save. Can you see how... This is a beautiful picture of the gospel and how without God not only revealing himself to us in the pages of scripture, but actually stepping into the story because of his great love for the characters that he's created. I don't know what you think, but that make I'm like, yo, you know what I mean? And I think I heard Tim Keller say, People who hear that story ought to say, raw, if that was, if only that was true. It's like a story I've never, ever heard. I mean, I was watching, what was it? Infinity Wars yesterday. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. I never realized the first 17 films <laughs> built up to that one. <laughs> I went to go see my brother in, in, in it. I went to see my brother in Tunisia. And he was like, oh, Rob, like, chilling. When I tell you, I had a wonderful week where I couldn't, I could, even if I wanted to, I couldn't do nothing. And we're chilling, and he's like, oh, let's watch a film. I was like, yeah, cool. He said, what do you want to watch? I said, I don't know. He said, what haven't you seen? I said, boy, I ain't seen blah, 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 blah. I ain't seen Black Panther. He said, you ain't seen Black Panther? He, straight away, he put it on. Straight away, we... So we're watching Black Panther, and he says, Rob, you know, this is amazing. How can you never watch this? You know that this is the one after the da 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 And I said, really? My man started telling me how every single film is connected to the next one, and Iron Man connected to Spider-Man. I said, really? Really? <laughs> so I watched the Infinity... I shouldn't have watched the Infinity Wars, because... I don't know what's happening up to this point, and it I never really got the juice out of it, you know what I mean? But why did I tell that story? Why did we should be amazed that God... Um, 
See, I've gone back to that thing, the forgetfulness. Is it, what's, what's the deal with, someone said there's male menopause. Is that true? Well, if it is, that must be what I'm going through. Um, but how many of you know, I mean, it's crazy. Stan Lee, he does cameos throughout them films, right? Just the next thought. I don't even know what my original thought was. But Stan Lee, and he's, he's in the car and he turns around. He's in that, he died this year, didn't he? This year? Still this year. And um, so he ain't going to be in the next ones, but how many of you know they're still keeping it going? I'm not going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. You've probably seen it like five years ago. When, that, when did it come out? I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's a great story, and it's going to continue, but it's nothing to compare. And Tim Keller says, people ought to hear how God writes himself into the story like Dorothy says, and say, oh, poor. You know what I mean? I, can't, I must say, I watched the Infinity War. I wasn't that impressed. Maybe because I didn't know the backstory. But you can't hear this story about God humbling himself in the way that he did, knowing who he is, knowing who we are and what we are. God comes into this world to rescue us because of his great love for us. Are you going to hear that story and say, Phew. you've got to at least say, sick. You've got to at least say that even in the midst of a time where we're seeing films and stories all the time. I'm like, now consider the great contrast. We come into this world, the Bible says, you know what? The Bible says we go astray from when? From the cradle. <laughs> That's when we go astray and we start being arrogant. You got, you got a two-year-old? You know what I'm saying? Tell him about, turn around and tell you no. You know what I mean? It's like from the cradle and then... And how many of you know, throughout life, eventually, we get humbled and we leave in a wooden box. Humbled. And it's crazy. God comes to earth really humbly in incredible humility. But then he ascends and he leaves in glory. Like, remember how Jesus ascended when he left? The antithesis, I mean... Consider the great contrast. We come into the world in one way, leave in another. Jesus comes in and leaves. And what is our response to all of this? James chapter 4 verse 6 says, But he gives more grace, that is God. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but what? He gives grace to the humble. Matthew 18 verse 4 says, Whoever humbles themselves like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 23, verse 12 says, Whoever exalts themselves will be what? Humbled. But whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. Again, it's, it's really ABC, it's really elementary, isn't it? And so, in conclusion, as we come to the end of 2018, <clears throat> on the brink of a new year, I suppose. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, yeah, I, are you today reminded of the good news, the gospel, about what God did for you, what he did for me? Are you reminded of that? Because you always, like in, cha in chapter one of Philippians, the chapter before this, you always want to be cognizant of how blessed you are. And how good God has been in terms of his common grace, but 
His saving grace through Christ. You know what I'm saying? Please be rem- let, let us be reminded of that, the gospel. Because it's out of that, really, the fruit will come. And, uh, and secondly, let's, let's be reminded, as, as we heard constantly this morning, that we need to change the way that we think. Even after being a Christian for years, don't ever feel like you come to that point where you've arrived. You know what I'm saying? We constantly need to be being transformed into the image of Christ. Because I look around, as you look at me, and I know we ain't arrived. Amen? So let's be reminded. So reminded of the good news and reminded that we need to continue to change. our. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a believer... Do you see your sinfulness, that list that I put up? Can you, can, you, can you be honest and say, yeah, that's me for real. Regardless of what I may portray or in my heart, I know I'm arrogant. I know I'm selfish. And if you're not, well, you're not human. And that's the first thing. And then second, hopefully on the back of that, you see the need to humble, at least humble yourself. You know what I mean? Because if you continue to be proud and arrogant, God will resist you. But if you humble yourself and say, boom, I don't know everything. And right, what God has revealed himself in that way. Let me take a look at how God has, at least, let me, let me, tell me more about how God has revealed himself. Let me, let me actually begin to read the Bible for myself and find out what it actually says rather than what people say about it. You know what I mean? And, and you will undoubtedly be challenged to humble yourself in, the view, in, the, in, in view of the fact that God humbled himself for you. Amen. I'm going to invite the, the team, the praise team to come and join me. See? What's on your wish list? What's on your wish list? Well, God wants to give you himself as a gift. Would you join with me as we pray? Father, um, thank you for the gospel. And the gospel is the great story about how you entered into human history, literally, in order to rescue us, in order to save us. Father, on the back of Christmas and us being reminded of the reason for the season and as we now are on the brink of moving into a new year, would you help us to realize that this isn't just another Avengers movie? It's not just another episode of Lufar. It's not just another box set. Not just another interesting story. Oh, that's an interesting twist. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Lord, it's the greatest story ever told. And, and it's one that, if we will allow it to, it's one that, if we allow it to, will actually radically change our lives. Lord, thank you that um, Philippians 2 is really challenging us to think about the way that we think because our belief dictates our behavior. 
And um, Lord, would you allow the truth of Philippians 2 to seep into our hearts? And that we would be radically challenged by your radical behavior. And it would contribute to radically transforming and changing, as a result, our behavior. This is not us just trying to be better people. This comes from the heart. Lord, we're deceitful at heart. We're arrogant at heart. We think we know better at heart. We think we are better at heart than others. And it's often subliminal. But it's there because of sin. And yet you, you are so unlike us. And how comforting that is. Because, because you're not like us, that's unusual. And what is further unusual is the fact that you want to change us. And you want us to be more like you. And that, and, and that makes sense because you've brought us into your family. And as a father, as a parent, you want your kids to look like you. Lord, would, would you help Lord, would you allow that to become a reality for us in our lives so that it's tangible? So that it reaches out and touches other people's lives. We've been so overwhelmingly blessed. Lord, I think that we've been saturated with blessing to the point where now we can't even see it. We just want more and more and more. <coughs> Selfishly, Lord, help us. The Bible says it's better to give than it is to receive. And what a season for us to be reminded of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.